your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency creates personalized anti-aging formulas that smooth fine lines, lighten dark spots, and improve the appearance of dark circles. Each formula is tailored to you and prescribed by a licensed dermatology provider. Formulas are customized with clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than retinol. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps and Peepers. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello. Hello. Uh, 50 weeks of nightmares. I mean. This is the 50th episode. You know what? What? I haven't been committed. You haven't been committed. You, you, you've made it almost a year. Almost a year. We'll see what happens next year. <laughs> yep. We got with the big year anniversary episode coming up in two weeks. Two weeks. And yeah, I'm doing good. Can't believe it. It's been it's been such a fun ride. Thank you uh, all Thanks, so much guys. for being a part of it. I know. It's amazing. I feel so grateful. Mm-hmm. Got a big old blanket in the Scared to Death store at badmagicmerch.com now. First blanket, I believe, for Scared to Death. Uh, 60 by 80 inches, 100% polyester with a super soft Sherpa fleece lining on the bottom. Sherpa. The part you pull over your, your face peepers. Uh-huh. And then the design is the same from the uh, from the fan storybook cover for this year. Oh, yeah. I have, I have bad news. Okay. We were setting up, and I was getting ready. I got my cozy socks. You got socks. no blanket. My blanket's not here. Oh, no. Joe or Kate or Logan. Does somebody yeah, want we'll to run it, it in? We'll get you a blanket. Oh, get her her oh, blanket. Well, I, I just got so uncomfortable. I was like, something doesn't <laughs> feel right. Before we started, I was like, yeah. what am I missing? It's my blanket. Also, check the screen right now, uh, YouTube viewers, for the merch discount code. Oh, so fancy. All right. Well, you, well you're getting your blanket. I'm going to get to story time. Okay. Uh, how many stories are you going to have today? I believe two, right? I have two. I have like one shorty and one juicy fat that's what, one. That's what I have. <laughs> I have uh, I have two, uh, a shorter and a longer. Also a trigger warning for today's second story. The second story involves details related to the very real murder of six people. I know I don't normally give warnings, but uh, trying to get better based on listener emails. A uh, little heads up if stories Thanks, deviate. Thank you, Thanks, Joe. Joe. Uh, you know, like when stories deviate from something like a malevolent spirit psychologically terrorizing someone to, uh, you know, a story where people are actually killed or raped or, or there's a suicide, it feels fair to give the warning. So, you know, we're going to do our best to, to give that heads up. Yeah. Sometimes we'll get it wrong, but we're certainly yeah, going to try trying. to always get it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first story, all about the shadow man. Oh. Uh, one's man's, uh, one man's various encounters with what uh, might be the same shadowy entity over a, a period of many years. Mm-hmm. And the second, sta- the second tale, excuse me, is the supposedly true haunted house story behind the hit horror book and movie, The Amityville no. Horror. I'm out. 
I'm fucking out. One no. of the scariest stories I've ever heard. <sighs> uh, for Time Suck fans, I hope you enjoyed the scared to death treatment of the tale that I analyzed on Time Suck about two years ago. Oh. Uh, fun to take a very different approach to the same subject. That scared me on that show as well. I, I didn't listen to it, unfortunately, because, well, it's I'm a, a crazy peeper. tale. It's a crazy tale. So, re- are you ready for our first story before we get to Amityville? The, the can Shadow I just Man? show off my socks real quick? Oh, you can show off your socks. These ones are so cute. I don't know if you can really see, but there's like a little, it says, Sweet on the Sweet. side. Sweet. And Sweet pink socks. They're fuzzy on the inside. Nice. Kind of like me. <laughs> are you are you ready, ready ready for our first story, fuzzy on the inside? Yes. Okay. Uh, zero setup needed for this one. We're just going to oh. dive right in. Go. Time now for a tale called Mom Still Won't Talk About It. Yee. This is Blaine's tale. When he first saw the shadow man, he was just 10 years old. Blaine was split time with his dad and his mom, and the week it first happened, he was at his mom's house, home from school, sick with the flu. He'd asked if he could sleep in his mom's bed. She said, sure, and he was watching TV in her bedroom late at night when he finally closed his eyes and drifted off to dreamland. And that's how a terrible night and years of sightings all began. Blaine awoke at roughly 2 in the morning to the sound of his mother screaming. She'd been lying next to him, and now she was sitting up in bed and pointing at something across the room. When Blaine looked to see what was scaring her, he saw a man's shadow perched atop his mother's dresser. The shadow man stood there crouched and he appeared to be staring directly at his shrieking mom. This happened over 20 years ago and Blaine remembers it like it was yesterday. The intense and terrifying memory was seared into his brain that night where it will remain for the rest of his life. The dark entity was humanoid in shape. It was all black other than its narrow white eyes. And while Blaine stared at this strange, dark shape, it turned its shadowy head away from his mom and began to stare at him. He felt cold when it watched him. He could taste what he thought was blood in his mouth. (gasps) The shadow man continued to stare at him while his mom continued to scream. And then without warning, it leapt down off of the dresser and started to head out of the bedroom. When it made it to the doorway, it turned and looked at him once more, then ran out the door and into and down the hallway. It became a blurry streak that vanished around the corner and off into the night, moving faster than any human could. It took a long, long time for Blaine and his mom to fall back asleep that night. But eventually, when the adrenaline wore off, they did. And the next morning, when Blaine woke up, he initially hoped that the whole thing had just been a terrible dream. He, of course, brought up everything he remembered to his mom the second he saw her, who, to his surprise, verified that everything had indeed all happened just as he remembered. His mother also made it very clear she didn't want to keep talking about it. She was scared, and it scared Blaine to see his mom frightened. For sure. She told him to never talk about it again. But Blaine couldn't just not ever bring it up. The encounter was too intense. He couldn't stop thinking about it. It haunted him. He brought up seeing the shadow person to his mother on several more occasions over the course of his childhood, and each time she told him that she still didn't want to talk about it. But once, she did say a few more things. She said that the night they saw the shadow, she felt an evil force emanating from it. A devout Catholic, she believed, truly believed, that this thing was some kind of spawn of the devil. And then after saying this, she grew quiet, and then she refused to talk any more about it. As far as Blaine knows, his mother only ever saw the shadow man that one time. But Blaine would see it again, and again, and again. Since that night, Blaine has experienced numerous numerous instances of encountering a dark presence lurking in the shadows, watching him. Sometimes his presence has just made him feel merely uncomfortable. Other times, it's given Blaine the impression that it wants to hurt him, oh. that it hates him. On one occasion, Blaine fled from the shadow and claims he was chased. 
That instance occurred when he was 13. One night after the sun had just gone down, he was riding his bike home alone from a friend's house when he sensed something horrible behind him. And when he turned and looked, he saw the same entity from his childhood walking across a neighbor's lawn. He started to pedal as fast as he could, and when he looked back a few seconds later, it was now in the street, actually chasing him, only 10 to 20 feet away. Oh my god. He knew it could catch him if he wanted to, so why didn't it? He still doesn't know. Maybe he just wanted to toy with him. Maybe it was just fun enough to scare him. Blaine didn't encounter the shadow again for another two years. He just moved into a new house with his dad and was sitting in the living room. At 10 in the morning, it was broad daylight outside, when suddenly he felt like something was wrong. Suddenly he heard some large object smack hard against the window by the front door, which had the curtain drawn. His heart froze as he slowly moved the curtain aside and peeked through and saw what had made the sound. This was the only time he saw the shadow man during the day. His dark shape pressed against the outside of the glass, arms stretched out, bent upwards at the elbows, palms pushed flat against the pane, and then after just a moment, no longer than a second, the shadow man turned and ran away. Blaine claims he felt definite malice this time, and that this maliciousness would grow worse with future sightings. A few months later, he saw the shadow at night while walking his dog. His Rottweiler, Sammy, began to bark and bare his teeth, and he felt that same familiar sensation of being watched. Then he watched the shadow pop out from the darkness where his dog was looking and dart over towards and then duck behind a boat in a neighbor's driveway. He saw the shadow again just a few nights later when he was in his dad's kitchen getting some food for a midnight snack. He'd only turned on one dim kitchen light, and that and a tiny nightlight at the end of the hallway were the only things barely casting any light into the living room. Well, that's bad. You need more light. He poured some cereal into a bowl, and then Blaine felt like again he was being watched, and he turned quickly to notice the shadow of a man's head, with no ears and white eyes, looking around the corner from the hallway. It shrank back when Blaine noticed it, and then, just like all the times before, it was gone. When Blaine was 17, he had his worst and final encounter. He'd fallen asleep doing some homework on his bed, and he had a disturbing nightmare, awakening to the sight of a shadow standing over him, outlined by the light coming in from the hallway through his half-open bedroom door. He screamed out, and when he did, the shadow leaned forward and smiled. It was the one and only time he saw the outline of a mouth in addition to its eyes. He says the mouth was hard to explain. It was also black, like the shape of his body, but somehow even darker. And he felt like this thing could swallow his soul, that it could suck his essence into the dark void of its mouth and leave an empty shell of him behind. As Blaine continued to scream, the monster leaned further and further in, its face eventually only inches from his own. Finally, when he felt like he was about to lose his mind, it dissolved into hundreds of small, dark specks that after a few seconds completely dissipated into nothingness. What? Blaine's now 33 and he hasn't seen the shadow man again since high school. But he has met others who have also experienced shadow people sightings, which has kept him from feeling crazy and less alone. Blaine wishes he knew what it all meant. What is the shadow man? What does he want? He thinks at the very least that shadow people are reminders. He says these sightings remind me that not all in this world is as it seems. His mom still refuses to talk about what she saw. Eek. Thank God it's over for him. Yeah, Halle- so far. Hallelujah. <laughs> right. I, I literally wanted to scream out amen when you said that. <laughs> yeah. Weird, weird series of uh, adolescent, I guess, encounters. Well, and then it started when he was 11 away. until he was, what, 17, 18? Yeah, 17, 18. That's a long time. Long time. Because it seems like. It's like six, seven, eight encounters, something like that, encounters. Yeah. 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 It, it also seemed um, fairly 
uh, oh my god, I get, words are hard. It's they seemed fairly <laughs> far apart. Mm-hmm, so it was like, oh, mm-hmm. just when you think it's okay, it's been two right. years, and then bink. Yeah, and, and according to him, pretty intense. Not like oh, something out of my peripheral no, vision. No, like in his fucking face. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody gets up in my face like that, even like when the kids are joking around and they get, I'm like, get out of my fucking face. I would. It's freak unnerving. Out. It's yeah. so uncomfortable. It's mm-hmm. just your personal space. It's a violation. Yeah. yeah. And then for it to kind of like do the, not a smile, but he saw the mouth. Like Right, right. Eek. We, Eek. Have a, we have a few photos. Oh, uh, great. Yeah, we have three photos. This first How one. fortunate. Uh, I okay. hadn't seen this one before. Uh, a rendition of a shadow person that somebody made that seems like close to the kind he described. The shadowy uh, humanoid shape with the white eyes. At first, that picture didn't freak me out, but the more I stare at it, the more I just think about how I'm going to visit your mom this week, mm-hmm. and she lives out in the middle of nowhere, and if I saw that... Like it's like just after sunset, if you saw like out I in got, the fence line... That's what I was thinking. A little figure looking like, back at you. Yeah, if I let the dogs out. Oof. Woof-da. Uh, here's another one. Another shadow, shadow apparition, somebody's uh, interpretation. That would not be fun to see at the end of a dark hallway. No, but I got to tell you, that just looks like someone... But the skinny, skinny arms. It's some kind of, you know, I'm, I'm sure like Photoshop thing, but just a creepy image. Okay. And then I found one more that I thought was similar to what he claimed he saw. Just some type of shadowy apparition. That seems right. <laughs> that's like, I think that's a shadow woman. Yeah, that's shadow woman. That's, mm-hmm. that's, a shadow that's woman. what you hope for. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, if, I mean if, if, it's, if it's that or one of the first ones, then yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I keep seeing something in my peripheral. Sorry, I keep touching my eye, but I'm like, is there something in my eye? Or maybe it's that shadow lady. I don't. I keep seeing like a white orb light. Eek! It's freaking me out. <laughs> um, well, poor Blaine. Poor um, Blaine. So what? The note that I wrote down that kind of got me. I was like, oh dang. The thing about the blood in the mouth. Remember? Oh, yeah. Remember for a few weeks, I kept saying like, oh yeah, you kept tasting blood in your mouth. Yes, and right. I know that we've been saying recently, like we last week we talked about. Um, the both of us getting up for cereal and how yeah, it felt yeah, like yeah. a little not right in the house for some reason. Right. Um, I mean, our bedroom has felt a little bit off. I've just been like, yeah. I've been sleeping with my little nightlight on uh, yeah. again. I'm sleeping like I'm. I don't know if it's the mirrors story coming back yeah. uh, subliminally because I just like I don't want to look at our mirror. The other night, I mean, I begged you to let me sleep on the other side of the bed on oh, your yeah. side. Mm-hmm. I felt way better. I felt so much better away from the mirror side. I know it's probably yeah. It's always it's always like hard to tell. Like like, it, are you sensing something real? And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking no, about like the universal you. Yeah. Are you sensing something real? Or are you are you sensing something because the imagination is going because of the stories we, you know you've just heard, mm-hmm. which I always think about for myself too. Because uh, oh, and, and before I forget uh, and say this next thing, uh, new listeners, audio listeners, uh, we we put the uh, pictures from the episode on Instagram and Facebook. If you're like, if you're like, I, I can't see these pictures. What are they talking about? Just go to uh, Scared to Death on Instagram or Facebook, and they'll be there. Well, well done. Well yeah, done. and and but uh, I woke up. This I, I freaked out the other night. The mirror story got into my head just like two nights ago because yeah. I woke up at exactly three a.m. I woke up, felt like a little spooked. Ooh. Looked at my phone, and it was three a.m. on the dot. And I was just like, gay. And then I and then I thought of the mirror thing, and I'm like, no. And I had to go to the bathroom, and so, but I was making a real hard effort not to look at any mirrors. I was, I was a little worked up. When, when I asked you to switch sides with me the other yeah. night, how did you feel sleeping close to the mirror? Fine, I was so tired. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Maybe, maybe that's a new thing. That's also the crystal side of the bed, though. Oh boy. So, I also had a couple weed gummies in me. Yeah, I, I can't decide if the weed gummies help or <laughs> make me 
a bit more paranoid. Oh, these, yeah. I they do like help them. me get through the night, though. Mm-hmm. I'm less likely to wake up. Even if I wake up and I really have to pee, I'm like, meh. <laughs> I can sleep. I would rather see, an, if I had to see an entity, like it was going to be scary, I would rather see it when I had a bunch of stuff in me. Oh, yeah, so you could excuse it? Yep, then I could just blame it on that later. But that ah, was the weed. Yeah, it's the weed. Yeah, weed the always. Weed, weed demon. <laughs> <sighs> uh, you ready for our next story? Yeah, let's do it. Me too. Excited to tell it right after a quick sponsor break. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency creates personalized anti-aging formulas that smooth fine lines, lighten dark spots, and improve the appearance of dark circles. Each formula is tailored to you and prescribed by a licensed dermatology provider. Formulas are customized with clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than retinol. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel any time. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better, too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit Egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. And we're back to the show, Creeps and Peepers. Yay. Hello. 50 episodes feels pretty special. I, I mean... It feels incredible, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about all this. Not the one year quite, but still a significant, you know, uh, marker of, of, you know, we've been doing this a little while now. So I, I wanted to throw in one of the my favorite horror stories into this episode. And that's where the Amityville story comes in. Mm-hmm. Is I thought like, oh, 50, I want to do something. Uh, not, not that I don't like them all, but I'm like, oh, what's one of my favorites? Sure. Quite a bit of setup on this one. Plenty of time to settle in. Uh, the tale I'm about to tell, as I said earlier, I covered on the Times Like podcast a few years ago in a very different way. And again, if any creeps or peepers are, are curious to hear a comedically analytical approach to the same topic, you can you can check out that episode. Um, and despite how in- analytical I tried to be, the story really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, made me want to launch a horror podcast, actually. That was one of the episodes. I was like, oh, man, this would be so fun to tell in a different way. Yeah. Because uh, skeptically, as I tried to approach it, definitely, yeah, like haunted me. I kept thinking about it long after the episode was recorded. 
the story of the Amityville haunting, along with the tale of Annalise Michelle's demonic possession, those are the ones that really made me truly believe for the first time as an adult in the very real possibility that there's something out there that exists that science can't explain and that there's stuff out there that is not nice. <laughs> that you know that like that's e- one like way to say it evil type entities that mean to do us harm um what stood out yeah. to me with this story and still stands out more than anything else is how it started uh the story begins with a mass murder that undoubtedly happened mm-hmm. bodies mm-hmm. were definitely found police reports were definitely filed and 45 years later a 67 year old man definitely still sits at the sullivan correctional facility in the town of fallsburg new york and based on what he did it's unlikely he'll ever get out mm-hmm. this crime is so so disturbing to me and so creepy this yeah. detail i'll explore here at roughly 3 a.m on november 13th 1974 ronald joseph butch defeo jr only 23 years old took a 35 caliber marlin rifle a rifle commonly used to hunt deer and went on a very different type of hunting spree hours before dawn butch used this recently purchased rifle to execute every single member of his immediate family all of whom were sleeping at the DeFeo family home on 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, Long Island, New York. Ronald J. DeFeo Sr., 43, his wife Louise, 42, two of their sons, John, 9, Mark, 12, and their two daughters, two daughters Allison, 13, and Dawn, 18, all found shot to death over 12 hours later when Butch showed up at Henry's Bar, a local tavern near his home, at approximately 6.30 p.m. shouting, You've got to help me! I think my mother and father are shot! After Butch was arrested for these murders, it didn't take a jury long to convict him. And I would have convicted him as well. But I also would have been really bothered by one extremely peculiar detail regarding these crimes. Despite the fact that Butch had threatened violence towards his family in the past and possibly was capable of murdering his whole family for a reason that has nothing to do with anything paranormal, I truly think something otherworldly may have helped him or pushed him towards committing those murders that night. Something more wicked uh, than he may have been. And I think that because I can't come up with a reasonable, decent answer for one very important question. How did Butch shoot six different people in four different rooms on two different floors of an old house with creaky stairs without waking anyone up? Think about how outright impossible that seems. Mm -hmm. Butch shot each of his parents twice. He shot all four of his siblings one time each. Eight total shots are fired from a gun that is not even in the ballpark of quiet. I've watched multiple YouTube videos of this exact model of Marlin rifle being fired in a variety of settings uh, at a variety of distances from the camera. It is not a quiet firearm. This is not a 22. This is not a pellet gun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like you fire this in a living room at 3 a.m. You're waking up the whole house. Could there be a silencer on it? There was no silencer on it. For sure. Like, like yeah, the, the way they, they would have been able to tell based on the uh, uh, the way the, the markings on the bullets. Oh, yeah, like gunshot residue mm-hmm, and Gunshot such. residue and everything. Like, yeah, like, uh, no, no silencer. Uh, even if your home is full of really hard sleepers, the first shot is going to wake up most, if not everyone inside. Second shot is going to make it real clear to everyone who wasn't just shot that there's an active shooter in the house. And if you thought someone was firing a gun near you, wouldn't you get out of bed? Well, yeah. Right, at least try to. But none of the DeFeos tried. This is so weird. I've looked at crime scene photos. The victims were all found laying in their beds like they'd been all shot in their sleep. Who sleeps through seven loud rifle shots with ample t- time in between each shot? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ken, Gr- 
Ken Gruguski, Greguski, ah, some stupid Polish name. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, Ken, stupid name. Uh, former, former. <laughs> that's a joke for listeners about Lindsay's last name was uh, Radzeminski. We met, uh, but they are Polish names. Are they do fucking suck? The last names you got to admit. Well, it's your problem, not mine. Ken Gruguski, whatever. Uh, former Amityville police chief. They're like all tongue twisters. Uh, was one of the first law enforcement professionals at the scene. And he thinks it's just as unprobable as I do that anyone could sleep through a murder spree like this. Mm-hmm. Years after the murders, he said in an, in an interview, why someone wasn't able to get out of that house is beyond belief. And the neighbors on each side of the house were home when the shots were fired. They didn't hear anything. Other, one heard a dog barking. That was it. So they could hear something, but they couldn't hear the rifle. Weird. How? Was something unnatural changing the way sound traveled in part of Amityville that night? Butch claimed in court to have heard voices telling him to kill his family leading up to it. Oh, no. Did he? Were those voices somehow connected to this peculiar volume issue? Were they connected to the haunting I'm about to tell? When I first heard all this, I thought the DeFeos must have been drugged. Mm-hmm. That's how they didn't wake up. Mm-hmm. Nope. The coroner checked thoroughly. Uh, he was also baffled. Dr. Howard Adelman, deputy chief medical examiner of Suffolk County, was present at the crime scene, personally conducted the autopsies of the DeFeo family members, and he said even if they were sleeping, the report of the weapon that was used is supposed to be so loud that it would have, so to speak, awakened the dead. He added, we did extensive toxicology not only on the blood and urine but on all the organs that were removed, and it it turned up zero. There wasn't anything in the bodies. How very strange. Six victims found face down in their beds, no signs of struggle, no drugs in their system. Forget asking why would anyone do this to their family. Instead, wonder how could anyone do this to a family? And all face down, which really mm-hmm. like, how it's do, creepy. How do all people sleep in the same position? We don't, we're, we don't right? sleep in the same position. We it's move. so weird. Were they tied down? Nope. It's, it really creeps me out. It gives me the chills Ugh, every time I talk about it. I don't like it. And while you're thinking about all this, let these thoughts influence your interpretation of this story that follows. As interesting as all this is, the meat of the story is about the family that moves in after the DeFeos are murdered. Oh, boy. What happened to the Lutz family in the same house oh, yeah. would inspire a 1977 book and then a 1979 horror movie classic of the same name, The Amityville Horror. Time now for the tale of the demons of Amityville. The Lutz family moved into the DeFeo house barely a year after the murders in December of 1975. No fucking thank you. And they'll only last 28 days in their new, very unhappy home. George Lutz was 28 years old. His wife, Kathy, was 29. They moved into the Amityville house with Kathy's three kids from a previous marriage, Danny, nine, Christopher, seven, and Melissa, a.k.a. Missy, only five, and then the family dog, a black lab named Harry. The Lutzes, of course, got one hell of a deal on the three-story, five-bedroom Dutch colonial that sat on a 50-by-237-foot lot with a heated swimming pool and a boathouse near the end of the Amityville River leading to South Oyster Bay. Local priest, Father Frank Mancuso, came over to the Lutzes' new home on the day they moved in to cleanse it. He knew about the DeFeo murders. And when he entered the DeFeo murder house, he felt something, something terrible. He strongly sensed that his presence was not welcome in this house. When he flicked the first sprinkles of holy water he'd brought to cleanse the place, he heard a menacing, masculine voice speak to him from the home with terrifying clarity. Get out! He spun around towards the source of the voice, wide-eyed and startled. And while he didn't see anything, he did feel something. Something rotten. Something terrible. He quickly finished his cleansing and left without telling the Lutzes what he'd just heard. He didn't want to scare their young children. 
He tried to convince himself it was all just his imagination that he'd simply spooked himself thinking about the murders before ever stepping through the door. Strangely, later that same day after returning to his rectory, dark circles suddenly formed under Father Mancuso's eyes and he felt very ill. He wouldn't recover for weeks. Even stranger, on the way home from his rectory that night, Father Mancuso's car malfunctioned, steered itself off of the road and onto the shoulder. What? The hood flew open, smashed the windshield. The front passenger door flew open and the engine died. What? Mancuso had to have another priest drive him home. He later interpreted all of this as the entity in the Amityville house, making it very clear it did not want him to return. Ugh. Whatever may have attacked Father Mancuso may have also introduced itself to the Lutz family a few hours later. The same night, the first of the Lutzes stayed in the Amityville house. Harry the dog nearly hanged himself. What? Jumping over a fence and was barely saved from asphyxiation by George. Oh my God. Not normally a fence jumper, George and Kathy were surprised and chalked it up to the dog being in unfamiliar surroundings. But the very next night, George would wonder if Harry had been frightened. Frightened by something, he had a hard time believing he was seeing himself. The next night, looking down from his bedroom window, George saw a shadowy figure approach Harry, who then started barking. Oh, God. Thinking maybe it was some kind of animal, George headed outside, and while he didn't find any animals near Harry, he did find the boathouse door suddenly ajar. Part of him wanted to go inside to the boathouse, but primal instinct warned him not to. He'd locked the door and went back to bed. Backing up for a moment, this encounter wasn't the only unusual incident George experienced during his second day in the new family home. He also couldn't get warm. He put on a second shirt, he started a fire in the fireplace, still felt cold. He'll feel cold the entire next day as well. He'll feel cold for weeks and become obsessed with trying to heat up the house. Also, his family will later recall that George's personality began to shift around the second day in the home. He was suddenly irritable, on edge, and moody. He'd also stop showering or shaving the day he moved in, something he'd done on a daily basis before for his entire adult life. Kathy's mood also began to darken after moving into the Amityville house. It seemed like something began corrupting the entire Lutz family the moment they walked through the door. Well? Kathy and George ran a family land surveying business and both stopped going into work once they moved in. Inexplicably, they just no longer cared about work. And this is all just the beginning. On the fourth day in the house, George and Kathy be, uh, both beat the kids with a leather strap and a wooden spoon. Oh, my God. For cracking a pane of glass in the playroom, neither had ever hit the kids like that before. Then on the fifth day, Kathy has a physical encounter with something she can't see. Oh, God. While alone in the kitchen, she feels a woman's soft hand suddenly rest on her own. Oh. A mother's touch? It's both unsettling and oddly reassuring. No, it's not. She would soon become so oddly attached to the house, or she would soon become oddly attached to the house and never want to leave it. It seemed as if the house wanted her to stay. The same day, the Lutz kids show their mom the upstairs toilet. The inside of it, uh, the bowl, has now, has now been covered in a black stain as if it had been painted black. Kathy can't flush it, can't rub the black away. Kathy also smells a strange perfume in her bedroom this day. In her master bedroom, the toilet also turns black, and the room is overcome with a powerful and rotten stench. Also on day five, the family discovers a large swarm of flies in the sewing room, clustered around the window facing the boathouse. Oh, not a good sign. Hundreds of fat, slow-flying houseflies. George opens a window, and the family chases out as many as they can, and they kill the rest. George still feels cold, so cold. No one else in the family seems to feel the same chill. 
George is now chopping firewood every day throughout the day, constantly adding logs to the fire. Early in the morning on the sixth day, Kathy wakes up in the middle of the night to find George trying to put the front door to the house back on. He said it had somehow come off in the middle of the night. That's not a thing. George explained that the way the door had been busted, it was as if someone had been trying to bust out of the house, not in. On the sixth day, the paranormal activity increases. Five-year-old Missy makes an invisible friend, Jody. Missy also says she's been talking to angels around the house and that the angels talk back to her and the angels tell her how much they like her, how much they never want her to leave. The same day, a crucifix Kathy had hung in the home is found turned upside down and strange smells continue to plague the home. Nine-year-old Daniel and seven-year-old Christopher get into a fist fight. Blood is spilt. The boys had never done anything like this before. Father Mancuso worries about the Lutzes as he rests and tries to recover from his mysterious illness at the rectory. He calls the family to check in with them on the seventh day and speaks to George. He tells George he has a very bad feeling about the second floor sewing room. And he asked George if he's felt anything unusual there. George tells the priest about the hundreds of houseflies that had been there just two days prior. And Father Mancuso starts to tell him he needs to keep his family out of that room. And then when he starts to say something else, the connection goes to static. Mancuso tries calling back and hears the phone ring and ring and ring for minutes on end. George waits for Father Mancuso on the other end and hears nothing. Hmm. Is the house playing again with what can and cannot be heard? The flies come back to the sewing room on the seventh day. George continues to obsess over the house, not being warm enough. He doesn't bathe, he doesn't shave, he doesn't go to work. His mood continues to darken. Day eight is Christmas Day, 1975, and George wakes up at 3.15 a.m. He's actually woken up at 3.15 a.m. exactly several nights in a row now. And each time he worries that something sinister is in the boathouse. Late on Christmas night, technically early in the morning of December 26th, he goes outside to check and see if the boathouse door is locked. It is. When he looks back at the house, he sees his five-year-old daughter, Missy, standing in her bedroom window looking down at him. It's approximately 3.20 in the morning. Behind her, he sees clearly a face. No! The face of a pig. Oh! A pig with red, glowing eyes. George runs inside and up to Missy's room to find her sound asleep in her bed. However, a little rocking chair in the corner of her room, one made for dolls, is rocking back and forth. Oh my god. Back and forth. Like someone or something is sitting in it right now. Get the fuck out of this house. George worries he's losing his mind. The next night, Kathy hears Missy talking to her invisible friend Jody in her room. Missy tells her brother Daniel that Jody is a pig. George, who still hasn't showered, shaven, or gone to work, awakes in at three, awakens at 3.15 a.m. again early on the ninth day. He checks the boathouse door again. No pig sighting this night, but he notices that the family dog, Harry, is becoming more and more lethargic. Oh, no. He barely moves when George walks past him. On the ninth day, George is sick. He vomits that morning. Kathy is touched in the kitchen again on the ninth day by an unseen entity. She smells the strange perfume she'd smelled in her bedroom four days earlier once more and she feels a woman again touch her, this time on the waist. Then the sweet smell becomes heavy, and she tries to pull away from the presence, and the spirit grabs her harder. She feels a hand grab her shoulder, and then, just like that, it's gone, and she starts to cry. As she cries, Missy enters her room and tells her mom, Jody says you shouldn't cry. Everything will be all right soon. Oh, my God. On the afternoon of the 10th day, Kathy's aunt Teresa comes to visit. Teresa had been a nun at one point, but was now the mother of three kids. She takes a little tour of her niece's new home and stops at the second floor sewing room, saying she will not go in. 
Her face turns pale. She backs away from the room. She says the room is ice cold, much colder than the rest of the home. Teresa says she won't go into the children's playroom on the third floor either, telling Kathy that something is wrong with that room. And then less than 30 minutes after arriving, Aunt Teresa insists on leaving, telling uh, Kathy that she should sell the place, just take her family and leave. Correct. Also, on their 10th day in the house, George discovers a secret door in the basement and finds a small room with concrete block walls that someone has painted solid red. When he turns off the basement light to, to this basement, he sees Butch DeFeo's face floating in the little red room. And for some reason, seeing this face does not make George want to leave. Sometimes he fears the house. Sometimes he never, ever wants to leave it. On the 11th day, George meets a co-worker at the bar not far from the Amityville house, the same bar Butch had visited after killing his family. Unshaven and filthy, George actually now looks a lot like Butch DeFeo. Oh. George's co-worker worries about him and his business. George doesn't look good. He's behind on payroll. And George doesn't care. He wants to go back home, back to the house. He only wants to be in the house. On the 12th day, George wakes up with a cut over his eye and a swollen ankle. He assumes he must have fallen during the night and when he goes to che- when he got up to check the boathouse and stoke the fire. Kathy finds teeth marks on his ankle. What Yee. bit him? He has no memory of what might have happened. Also on the 12th day, George reads details of the DeFeo killings and realizes that the murders may have taken place at roughly 3.15 a.m. The 13th day, uneventful. About the only uneventful day. On the 14th day, Danny and Chris threaten to run away from home after Kathy finds them fighting again in their rooms. She finds Missy watching them fight with an odd grin on her face. Missy who continues to talk to her friend Jody. It's too much. More flies are found swarming in the sewing room. At 1 a.m. on the morning of the 15th day, George and Kathy wake up to find their bedroom window open and a cold wind blowing into the house. Checking the rest of the home, they find other doors and windows open. The whole house is cold except for Missy's bedroom, which is as hot as a furnace. And her little rocking chair is moving again. My God, that's so creepy. Back and forth. Back and forth. (laughs) Rocked by an invisible guest. Later that day, Kathy feels the female presence in the kitchen once more. The smell of the strange perfume is back again. She tries calling Father Mancuso, but fe- but she feels like some entity is near her and that this entity does not want her to talk to the priests. She drops the phone and runs from the room. Like her husband, she worries that she's losing her mind. That night, after turning off the lights to go to bed, Kathy sees unblinking red eyes outside the living room window staring back at her. She screams and wakes up George, who looks outside and sees the eyes as well. But when he runs outside, he can't find anything. Early in the morning on the 16th day, George wakes up to find the door to the garage nearly ripped from its metal frame. How could this happen and not wake up anyone in the house? Later that day, the kitchen entity reeks of perfume, and something grabs Kathy yet again, and then a second spirit grabs her as well, and she feels them fighting for control of her. Oh my god. She passes out, wakes up later on the kitchen floor. George finally goes back to work again, and then he stops at a local Amityville bar on his way home, ends up talking to the bartender about his house. The bartender tells him he used to have nightmares about George's house. What? Says he used to have dreams that some strange group of people used to sacrifice dogs and pigs in some room on the second floor. George immediately thinks of the sewing room, the flies, Jody the pig. The house's hold on him seemingly is weakened, maybe because he'd left and went to work, and he tries calling Father Mancuso again later that night, and he hears nothing but static. On the 17th day, George notices a horrible stench coming from the basement red room. 
he decides to brick the room up so that no one can enter it again. That night, a ceramic lion in the sewing room bears its fangs and turns and stares at both George and Kathy as they walk past. Excuse me? On the 18th day, George wakes up to hear what sounds like a marching band parading through his living room. I don't know why that's entertaining. He runs downstairs. Suddenly, the house is totally eerily silent. George runs back upstairs to check on his wife, Kathy, finds her sound asleep, but floating in midair several oh. feet above her bed. Get the fuck out. George calls Father, Father Mancuso yet again, and this time finally gets through. He tells the priest about the smells, the touches, the red eyes, seeing Kathy levitate, etc. Father Mancuso agrees to head over, and then a loud moan comes through the phone, and suddenly Father Mancuso feels like he's just been slapped in his face. The phone goes dead. Day 19, another priest in Father Mancuso's rectory gets a strange phone call, telling him to tell Father Mancuso not to come back to the DeFeo house or he'll die before hanging up. What? Day 20, the weather turns colder and George and Kathy bring the family dog Harry inside. Missy wants to play with Harry in her room with her and Jody, and the dog hides under her bed. Uh Uh-uh. When her brother Chris opens the door, Harry bolts from the room and can't be convinced to go back in. Day 21. George wakes up to find Kathy again levitating above their bed. He grabs her, pulls her back to bed with him, and she wakes up. She suddenly transforms into looking like some 90-year-old hag, saliva dripping from a toothless mouth. Kathy runs to the bathroom mirror, screams when she sees herself. There is no hag staring back at her, but she has very dark circles under her eyes. She looks extremely unwell. Father Mancuso still has not come to visit the house. Instead, he calls the Lutzes and tells them to leave, to never come back. Get the fuck out. That night, George's friend's uh, George's friend Eric's girlfriend, Francine, who believes in spirits and mediums, comes to the Amityville house to see what she can find out. She has to be taken to the basement. When she sees the red room, she tells George that she thinks there was once a well that had been walled off at some point. She thinks it was walled off to try and keep something from getting inside the house, and she also thinks that something may have still gotten in anyways. She tells George that terrible things have happened in the red room. There were angry spirits and the house needs to be exercised. And then visibly spooked, she leaves and never comes back. Day 22. Kathy's brother Jimmy and his new bride, Carrie, come over to visit and spend the night and see if they notice anything unusual. Jimmy and his wife sleep in Missy's room. Everyone uh, everyone goes to bed by 11 p.m. At 3.15 a.m., George wakes up to Carrie screaming. He runs downstairs to Missy's room. Kathy follows. They find Jimmy comforting his wife, who says that she'd woken up when something touched her foot. She says she saw what looked like a sick little boy sitting at the foot of her bed, asking her to help him. The boy asked her where Missy and Jody were, and then the boy disappeared. Oh my God, oh my God. George grabs a crucifix and carries it from room to room, and Kathy recites the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then a loud male voice cuts her off. Will you stop? Day 23. Get out! Kathy tells George she wants to leave. George tells her they can't. He says work is falling apart. They've lost a lot of money the past few weeks. He tells her it will financially ruin them to walk away from the house they've just bought. He screams at the air around him, You sons of bitches, get out of my house! Then he throws all the windows open around the house, continuing to scream for the spirits to get out. Kathy's worried about George. She's worried about herself and her family. She's terrified. Day 24. Kathy wakes up with red welts that have formed a trail from just above her pubic hair to just under her breasts. They feel hot to the touch. It's as if something has slashed and burned her. Later this day, Danny gets his hand slammed in the bedroom window. 
George runs upstairs, can't get the window to open as his young son screams out in pain. He takes a hammer and hits the window that suddenly seems indestructible. George curses at the window. Suddenly, it lifts on its own. Kathy screams when she sees Danny's hand. His fingers look like they've been slammed flat, cartoonishly smashed. George tries to call a doctor, but the line is dead again. He instead drives Danny to the hospital, where an orderly uh, is amazed at the condition of Danny's fingers, crushed from the cuticle to the second knuckle, but then x-rays reveal that they somehow are not broken. He bandages Danny's hands, gives him some painkillers, and then George takes Danny home. Day 25. Oh my God, get out. George wakes up early in the morning to realize that a passing storm has shattered several of the home's windows and he starts nailing plastic sheets and some old boards over the broken windows to keep cold air from freely flowing into the house. George also invites someone from a local paranormal investigation unit to examine his home. The investigator has George walk the family dog, Harry, around the house to see how the dog reacts and the dog refuses to go anywhere near the sewing room on the second floor. He growls and the hair on his back stands up when they try to pull him towards the room. Day 26. After having a strange dream about a hooded figure, George wakes up in the middle of the night screaming, I'm coming apart! Missy wanders into his room and says that Jody wants to talk to him. George runs to Missy's room and sees red eyes staring at him from outside of Missy's window. Fuck! Missy points at them. There's Jody right there. He wants to come inside. Kathy runs into her daughter's room, picks up a chair, throws it at the eyes, shattering the window. They hear an animal squeal in pain and then the red eyes vanish. Later, Missy tells her mom that Jody told her about a little boy who also lives in her room. Jody Jody told her that this little boy got sick and died in the room many years earlier, but Jody says it's all okay. Jody says that Missy can live in the house forever, so she can always play with the little boy. Oh my god. Kathy is terrified that her daughter is about to die if they don't leave. Day 27. Late in the evening, George wakes up Kathy by speaking in different voices in languages Kathy has never heard him speak before. He's in some sort of trance, and then George suddenly screams in English over and over, It's in Chris's room! It's in Chris's room! It's in Chris's room! Later, George remembers dreaming about a dark presence in Chris's room before falling into his trance. He was dreaming about a hooded figure picking his son up and taking him away. Oh my god. George finally agrees to leave the house. He wants to leave that night, but a massive storm has settled into Amityville. Freezing rain is pouring down, so they decide to spend one last night in the house and wait out the storm. Missy, George, and Kathy all sleep in George and Kathy's bed. The dog, Harry, lays by the bedroom door. Danny and Chris choose to still sleep in their room. Oh, no. At that night, George hears noises from the boys' room. It sounds like the boys' beds are slamming into the walls. He tries to get up but is paralyzed. Dresser drawers begin to open and shut in he and Kathy's room. He hears doors around the house start to open and shut. Suddenly, he hears voices, so many voices coming from the living room. He still can't move. Then he feels something in bed with him, something stepping on him. It feels like hooves, possibly pig's hooves. He passes out. Day 28, the final day. Around 7 a.m., George and Kathy wake to hearing Chris and Danny screaming. They're yelling about a monster with no face trying to attack them. Suddenly, Harry the dog jumps up and starts snarling and barking at something in the hallway. George throws himself off of his bed, and when he makes it to the hallway, he sees the large hooded figure from his nightmare standing down the hall, looking at him, pointing at him. He yells, run! Get out of the house! Everyone out of the house! The Lutz family frantically bolts out of the house, climbs into the family van. They speed down the road. They never return, hiring movers to gather their belongings. And whatever was terrorizing them doesn't follow. It stays in the home. The Lutzes would claim to never be terrorized again. Kathy and George both died years later, sticking to the story of what happened to them over the course of four weeks in the DeFeo house until the end of their days. 
Their son, Danny Lutz, has given interviews in recent years and claims to still be haunted by what happened to him and his family when he was just nine years old. Years after leaving, Danny once returned to visit the Amityville home. Why? And refused to step inside. Why would you go back? It's part of some paranormal investigation. Fucking stupid. Yeah. Intense, right? Yikes. One of the most intense haunting stories ever. Oh my God. I'm, I'm baffled. But, I mean, I know the story, but... Right. Excuse me. Hearing it again... Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's so much paranormal activity. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. day after day after day. Yeah, four weeks of uh, increasing terror. How many days would you last? Ooh, with that kind of stuff going on, I don't, I, wouldn't make, I don't think I'd last a week. Yeah, okay, good. Me either. Yeah. I, was, I was just making sure. <laughs> just checking in. It's mostly the pigs that get oh, me. Man. The pigs, every time. I know we've had a few other stories over the last 50 episodes that have had pigs, and it just, oh, oh. good Lord. Uh, this first picture is the Amityville home. Uh, originally 112 Ocean Avenue changed to 108 Ocean Avenue. Why was the address changed? Too many people coming by in the, in the years after the movie came out. So, I'm sorry, what was the original address? 112 Ocean Avenue. Was they thought by changing it to 108, that's such a huge, drastic <laughs> change that it was really going to throw Just people throw, off. Yeah, they hoped, I guess. Stupid. Um, uh, but the, also, yeah. I love that house. Like, as a kid, mm-hmm. we would um, vacation. I'm oh, going yeah. to sound real hoity-toity, but I assure you we were very broke. Uh-huh. Uh, we had... My mom's boss owned a home in Nantucket. Yeah. And we, Similar vibe to that. Yeah, he would let Long us Island. stay there. Mm-hmm. We would drive and it's a whole thing. Uh, but it has that very like East Coast, Cape Cod. Yeah. You know, the, um, that's not a widow's peak, but the upstairs outdoor balcony. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's Maybe. unfortunate that so much terror happens in this house. Right. It's beautiful. Uh, this next one is the Lutz family around the time of their Amityville days. So that's the family that moved in. Okay. Just normal. Mm-hmm. Where's we're missing a daughter? Normal seventies family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one daughter. Yeah, not okay. in the. Uh, well, right. I thought they had. Oh wait. Yeah, there's the two sons. Is that missing? Wait, maybe I'm mixing up the Defoe's and the Defeos and, De, and, and the, the Lutzes. Yes, yes. Yeah, this, you're right. This, this next one is Butch Defeo Jr. Oh yeah, they do start kind of look. They have a similar mm-hmm. similar look. bone structure and the, with the with the the beard and stuff. Yeah. Uh, this next one is the crime scene taken following the DeFeo murders and also in another shot of the house. Yeah. I can only imagine. It must have rocked that little town. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then this final one is a uh, depiction of that entity that, that George may have seen by the by the boathouse. Nice. So I don't know if that's the same shadow person that, that came from that first story. Nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, silliness, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. I. There's just so many... Things. I mean, we could. I yeah. feel like we could sit here and talk about Amityville for the next half hour. So many questions. Yeah. Um, and obviously, since this is a really known story, I will just say I, mean, I am aware that there are plenty of critics who think that the Lutzes are full of shit and that none of this stuff ever happened and it was concocted by the author who wrote the Amityville Horror Book, whose name escapes me right now. Yeah. That like there was this big plan to to move into the house, the site of a you know infamous murder, and the, the they got the priest somehow to go along with it. I mean, there's right. There's going to be detractors. D- did the but there's also a lot of witnesses that never, you know, wavered from their story the rest of their lives. Did the Lutz family make any money off of the book or the movie? Because I feel to me that's a, right, a that's bit motivation. of an indicator. I, I don't have the answer to that concrete. I believe that they did. I, I I knew the answer to that at one time. I believe that they did. How much I don't know. Right, right, right. Um, and are the 
Let's. Oh, okay. With two questions. And, and Danny, you know, the kid, you know, years later when he's an adult, uh, he didn't. I mean, I don't. I don't know what his incentive would be to, to to hold his parents lie for all those years. Right. And I wonder where the other siblings. You know, a lot of times with these stories, I feel like they just they don't want to fucking talk about it. Right. They kind of so, disappear. Yeah. So like their presence just kind of like as far as interviews and stuff just completely disappears. Sure. And I'm sure that they they move away. Uh, you know, I would change sometimes, my fucking yeah, name. Yeah, change their names in some cases. And just have no interest in being bothered. Yeah. And then tell me about um, DeFeo. So he's still in prison. He's still in prison. And is he crazy? Like Uh, Some people think so. He tried the insanity. I mean, some people think that he claimed to hear voices uh, prior to the murders so he could get an insanity plea. Mm, He was setting it up. Yeah, that he was setting it up. I mean, there there, there are people who think that too. Mm -hmm. He did change his story numerous times over the years about how like, um, you know, what happened around the murders. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's... What I just find interesting is... Nobody seems to think that he was this awesome dude. Like he had threatened his dad before. I mean, there was some like he 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 definitely seemed unstable okay. before. However, the investigators, like the central investigators, like the the main detective, the the um the coroner, a lot of them are also still baffled by that one by by the details of the crime scene. It's just so yeah. odd where it's yeah. like if no drugs were found in their system, how do you sleep through that? And then when you and then when you look back at it all and you combine that story with the Lutz story, Yes. It just paints a really creepy overall picture. Do you think that we could write to DeFeo? Oh, yeah. I'm sure you can. You can write to whoever in prison. I just have a lot of questions. Yeah, you could. You could. You could absolutely. I mean. Does anybody want a pen pal with him? <laughs> oh, man. I, mean, oh, Butch I, I, I say that I want to do it, but I won't. Yeah. I'd, yeah. Be, I'd be too. I cannot Clarice this. Yeah. And I feel like, okay. I mean. I mean, I guess you could get something back, you know, that, that might like reaffirm uh, beliefs you have about this story. But I, but I, I just never believe when somebody goes to jail from for multiple murders and they and they're not and they don't confess in the courtroom and they all, and, and their story changes a little bit. I, I have a hard time taking anything they ever say again mm-hmm. seriously. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, be- before we get into, I just want to address. Oh yes, you I have a new squish? squishy that a fan fan sent in. Uh, Lane and Kayla, thank you for sending this in. I'm going to combine your names into naming this little um squishy, kind of creepy gingerbread uh entity. Uh, what is it, Layla? Layla. Layla. Lane and Kayla. Layla. Layla. I love Layla because also Monroe had a a doll. Oh yeah, she was real into Layla oh, for a while. She was real oh, into Layla. We couldn't go anywhere without Layla. Yeah, Layla, Layla had to come everywhere. Layla was, and she was not a nice doll. Layla was a dick. Yeah, Layla was rude. Yeah, that was weird. Layla, yeah. like her doll, it's like was caused a lot of problems, and it was never Monroe's fault. No, it was just never. like you know, she just like, hey, I, yeah, I, I get it. I don't, I don't like it any more than you do. But you know, Layla doesn't want to eat dinner tonight. Do you? Layla doesn't want to go to bed. Do you remember when Monroe was little and she blamed it on Puppy Dog? Oh yeah. She oh yeah. Smashed Kyler in the head as hard as she could. Puppy with Dog a, with did a hard it. little figure. And then went and mumbled in the corner for time out about how she didn't do anything wrong. And it was all puppy dog. And why is she in trouble when puppy dog's the one who hit him? Oh, God. Oh, kids. Oh, Lord. That one. Okay. Are you ready for I'm ready. I'm two ready. awesome stories, Dan? I am ready. Okay. So this story felt uh, a bit relatable for me. I used to try and spend the night at my aunt's house all the time. Okay. My aunt Joyce. Okay. And I just could never make it through the night there. And every time I would go, my parents would be like... Are you going to stay the whole, like, cause yeah. we, we didn't live close by them. It was yeah. a huge undertaking. My aunt had two boys, and so she was very not patient with this frustration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, uh, yeah, no one would listen to me. 
uh, unlike our writer, who who gets some validation from her family. <laughs> so let's find out what's happening in Sophia's aunt's house. Uh, this this message goes, hello, my name is Sophia. I've been a fan of your podcast for a few months now. Thank, Thank you. you. I thought I might share with you something that I experienced while living with my aunt and my cousins. When I was a kid, my parents worked a lot, and I would oftentimes live with various family members for short periods of time. I spent most of my time at my eldest aunt's house because of how close in age my cousin and I were. To this day, we are still remarkably close and even call each other sisters, but that's besides the point. My entire family is very superstitious, especially my eldest aunt that I would stay with. She frequently saw mediums and had her tarot cards read, all against my family's wishes. I always felt a dark aura in her house as a kid, though this story was told to me later on when I was much older. I hated staying there overnight and would cover myself up completely, face and all, when I slept in my cousin's bed. I always wanted the side of the bed that faced the wall or the space of the room behind the couch I could hide in if we slept in the living room. Worst of all, I hated sleeping in the dark. I always felt like something was watching me, waiting to get the chance to do something awful to me. We often left the TV on at night because of it. I especially hated my aunt's room. It was dark and cluttered all of the time, but that wasn't the reason behind my dislike. For some reason, it was the scariest room in the one-level house, and farther and the farther away I got from it, the better I felt. I tried to chalk up my fear of the house to watching Animal Planet's Lost Tapes when I was a kid, <laughs> but I know now this was something beyond that. Despite all of the fear surrounding that house and the dark, I never experienced anything explicitly paranormal at that house. It was my aunt that was the most affected. According to my father, who dealt with the evil in that place, something attached to my aunt and drained her of her energy. It wouldn't let her sleep, and she would feel like something was sitting on her chest in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. After about a year of sleepless nights, she found a Masonic coin under her pillow with no recollection of how it could have gotten there. Weird. My dad blessed it and threw it in the nearby river. He described it as being a deeply evil object that manifested itself under her pillow. My aunt also began to see shadow people in her room and around the chimney of the house. Since then, my aunt has moved out of the house and hasn't experienced another paranormal activity. My family points to my aunt's frequent contacting of the other world as reason behind the evil entity that lived in her house. Thinking about it now gives me the chills. Thanks for reading my story. I hope it gives you the chills too. Best, Sophia. Yeek. Yeek. Uh, my mind went to, for whatever reason, like, what if the uncle was just messing with her? <laughs> like, just like a terrible prank. Like a really terrible prank that he never reveals. Just like, oh you know, gosh. putting the coin under her pillow and just, yeah. So committed. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I don't know, that lesson of, like, be careful if you're dicking around. I, I to me, Communicating that's... with the other side, trying to communicate with the other side. Like, what if you do? What if, I mean, if... I mean, if you're if you're trying to communicate, there's a part of you that believes it's real. Yeah, believes that, it's possible. Mm-hmm, believes it's possible. And, if, and then if it is possible, you don't know what you're getting into. Absolutely. Honestly, I worry sometimes when I have Reiki, because I'm like, what am I, even though I leave there feeling better, uh, when the session begins with like, unbeknownst to me, the energy healer, pulls yeah. a tarot card for you not not as a way of like reading your future but as an intention so you could think of it simply as like a prayer card or you could think of it as um 
you don't meditate or go to yoga. Like, <laughs> you're not enlightened, Dan. Oh, boy. No, but like, okay, when you go to yoga, yeah. at the beginning of a yoga class, they often say, you know, think of an intention. It could be anything. It could be mm-hmm. that you're trying to let go of something. It could be, it could simply be like, I'm going to focus on myself for the next 60 minutes, right? Just not letting yeah. those other thoughts I do, I do stuff like that on my own. Like, when I go out, I'll give myself little messages like, don't kill anybody. You'll go to prison. Well, that's that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you go for a, a Reiki, uh, they do a similar thing, right? Yeah. And so I think about that and then I'm like, well, wait, am I headed in the wrong direction? Because I don't want that. I right, really, I right. don't, I don't want that. I had a weird psychic premonition off to tell you about later. Oh, okay. It was so weird. Okay. Now. Good or bad? Well, it doesn't affect our life at all. It's okay. about someone else. All right. I'll tell you guys at the end. <laughs> okay. Uh, now. This story for me confirms why we all are afraid of the basement. Okay. Pretty, pretty significant. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, just a little warning here at the top of this story. Um, At a point in this story, there is some, in my opinion, graphic detail about a suicide. So if that is something that uh, will affect you greatly, I suggest exiting the podcast now um, and just take care of yourself. Okay. Ready? Yep. All right. Hey, Dan and Lindsay, loving the new podcast. Yes. Yes. Listening to these stories reminds me of a story from my childhood that I rarely tell people, but I feel it would be great for the podcast. When I was 11 years old, my mom got a great deal on a new house in Helper, Utah. You can see where this is going. (laughs) My three sisters and I were excited to have a big home. We were already renting a home in that town, but my mom had decided it was time for us to have our own home. I was very confused that we got a house so quickly and for so cheap until I overheard my mom talking to a friend on the phone while I was sitting in the living room watching TV. She was reassuring her friend that it would be okay living there, that she knew it was, quote, very close to the incident that happened, but couldn't pass up on a house this size for so cheap. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure what she meant by incident. My mind wandered a mile a minute, trying to piece it together, jumping to the worst case scenarios. Once I calmed myself down, my worst fears of the incident were met. Mm. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know. I didn't know him personally, my mother said. I, I, yeah, I get it's sad about what happened to him after his wife left him, but we're never going to use the basement. My whole body went cold and numb. The basement was the one place I didn't want to explore when we first got to the home. Something about it terrified me, but I don't know why. What happened in the basement? I screamed in my brain, hoping my mother would answer the question to her phone on the friend. To her friend on the phone. (laughs) As if she heard me, she continued on with her conversation after patiently waiting for her friend on the other end of the phone to stop talking. No, I don't take it lightly that he hung himself in the basement, nor am I trying to cash out on someone's pain, Amy. My mother screamed into the receiver before angrily hanging up the phone on her friend. I sat there frozen. A man died in the basement of our new home? Awesome. Even at a young age, I was very superstitious. I was already very afraid of basements, and I had a bad feeling about this basement even before this news. I had only been brave enough to slightly peek into the basement. It looked like it could have been a dungeon in a castle. It had walls built by big boulders and cement with a, with a cement floor. It was always cold there, even in the dead heat of summer. I had the worst night's sleep of my young life the first night there. I kept hearing sounds all around the house. Footsteps, pounding on the kitchen counter, and yelling that seemed to come from below me. 
I didn't realize it until the next morning that my room was directly above the basement. Mm. I also learned that morning that I wasn't the only one who heard noises. My sisters also thought they heard something or someone and chalked it up to my many sleepwalking adventures that have happened ever since I was three. My mother thought the same thing. They had heard random noises for many years throughout the night because of me. So to them, this was the only logical explanation. But what about the yelling? I asked them. They all exchanged confused glances at one another and told me they hadn't heard anything. The whole day, I tried to piece together everything everything that kept me up that night. I kept convincing myself it couldn't get worse. Boy, was I wrong. The next night, the pounding got louder and the yelling grew louder. I put my pillow over myself to block out the noise and I finally fell asleep. What felt like seconds had passed when I was shaken awake by my mom. I didn't know what was happening. She was shaking me hard and yelling my name. Why is she pushing me so hard to wake up? I wondered in my half-asleep mind. When things started to become clear, I realized I was standing in the kitchen. My mom finally stopped shaking me as she saw I woke up. I tried to piece the whole room together and figure out what was going on. I was standing with my mom in front of the stove. What the hell are you doing? My mom yelled at me. I'd never seen her so angry when waking me up from a sleepwalking incident. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I said. I thought I was asleep. I literally felt like I had just passed out in bed, Mom. It's four in the morning, she said. You were turning the burners on the stove on full blast. You were standing there staring at it. I've been trying to get your attention for five minutes. Don't you lie to me. Your eyes were open the whole time. That's when my whole body went cold. I had never had my eyes open while sleepwalking before. I didn't know what was going on. I pleaded with my mom that I was asleep. I told her what happened right before I fell asleep. She didn't believe me. She kept shaking her head and telling me I was hearing things and just imagining things because we were in this new house. As soon as she finished her sentence, we both heard repetitive bangs coming from the nearby bathroom. It kept going nonstop. Bang, bang, bang. We both stared at each other. I'm pretty sure I didn't imagine that, Mom. Mm -hmm. She grabbed my arm and led me to the bathroom. We both got to the bathroom door and saw my little sister standing in front of the toilet. Now what are you doing up? My mom yelled with even more frustration than earlier before. I was playing with the ghost, my little sister said. He was moving the seat on the toilet up and down. Isn't that funny? My mom clearly had had enough. Go to bed right now, both of you. I don't want to hear anything else about this. My sister and I went to our rooms without saying a word. I got to my bed and started drifting off to sleep until I heard my mom scream and then run into her bedroom. I couldn't sleep for the rest of the night after that. I had wanted to go and check on my mom, but she'd already been angry enough with us. It wasn't until many years later that my mom told me at that moment she saw red eyes in the kitchen with a a voice that said, leave, bitch, before she ran to her room. Shit. The following nights weren't as bad. My sisters and I occasionally would see some odd things like doors opening and closing or the occasional chair moving slightly. He's a nice ghost, my little sister said. Because of this, we got kind of used to everything that would happen, almost like a weird breeze in the house that you just deal with. We never had any bad experiences until my mom would come into the room. Things would fall to the ground violently, doors would slam hard, and we would hear big crashes from the basement. When this happened, it would scare my sisters and I. It kept getting worse and to the point that the little things we could no longer ignore because they were becoming violent. My mom would never want to be alone in a room and would always have to have one of us kids with her. 
After a month in that house, we were all sleeping in the living room, terrified. Jesus. My mom had brought her large mattress in there for all of us to sleep on together. Every night, my mom would hear something in the kitchen that would cause her to go in. She'd scream and come running back to us. When I was older, she told me the eyes would get more and more red and the voice would become more and more demonic each time she heard it. A shadow figure would appear, small at first, and then became the size of an eight-foot man. She would turn and run and hear the threatening voice yell from behind her, and magically, it felt like it came from the basement. I told her I always heard the yelling, but didn't really pay attention to what it said out of fear. We finally had enough. The next morning, my mom called the realtor, told her the experience and it had threatened to sue her if we didn't get our money back. She told them that she was not that this was not only about the suicide in the basement and it wasn't in the forms of the home, meaning she could use that against the realtor to get her money back. Because of this, we were able to move out in just a couple of days. On the last day, after we had finally packed, I felt a sigh of relief to be leaving that place with my family. I brought a box into the kitchen to be put in the moving truck when something made me stop in my tracks. I heard a creaking behind me. The door of the basement was slowly opening all on its own. I tried to ignore it with everything in me, but something was forcing me to turn around, like I was not in control of myself. I felt something wanting me to go to the basement. I tried to force myself to turn back around, but I could not ignore it. The next thing I know, I was at the bottom of the basement stairs. The stone wall was looking back at me. I felt so cold and so scared. Panic washed over me. All I wanted was to leave that basement. I started to turn and head upstairs, but I felt a force holding me, facing the stairs. I couldn't move. The air got colder and colder with each passing second. I felt something physically turning my head to look back into the basement. I kept fighting it, but the force turning my head grew stronger and stronger. As soon as my head turned all the way to the basement, I shut my eyes. I didn't want to look. Whatever was willing me to look wanted to show me something I knew I didn't want to see. I had my eyes closed what felt like an eternity. The force loosened from me. I felt a bit safer, but the air was still cold as a winter's night. I slowly opened my eyes to look, and before me was a man hanging in the basement. He looked like he had been there for years, decayed and almost mummy-like. He was facing the other side as his body slowly turned toward me. I felt my legs turn to stone. The man was now hanging right in front of my face, and all of a sudden his head jerked up and he looked directly into my eyes. The terror from this broke me out of whatever spell I was under and had kept me there as I ran upstairs faster than I ever thought I could. My mom found me minutes later on the kitchen floor, crying and barely able to catch my breath. My mom had some friends there helping us move. They scooped me up, carried me out to the car where I was finally able to calm down a few hours later. I fell asleep to the extreme I fell asleep due to the extreme exhaustion from the whole experience. By the time I woke up, we were far, far away from that house. I finally felt safe again. I told my mom what had happened. She told me they left whatever was left in the house and drove away. A few pots and pans got left behind, but it wasn't worth staying there anymore. To this day, I am sometimes scared to go into a basement. Every time I step at the foot of someone's basement stairs, I freeze and picture what I saw there that day. The man hanging and staring back at me, forever burned into my memory. I hope you both enjoyed this story. I've rarely told it to anyone due to how absolutely insane it sounds. I felt chills just writing it to you, but I couldn't pass up sharing the story with my favorite podcasters. You're both amazing. Keep up the great work. Love the new podcast. Always a space lizard. And now I'm part of the haunted macabre. I literally am anxiously awaiting every new episode. Cheers. 
Christopher James. Thanks, Christopher. Wow, man. Yikes. Yeah. That makes me think about the man that we don't know if he died in our house or not. But like, what if we just saw, what if we just saw him? No, thanks. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound appealing. I don't know, unless he's like super nice. Maybe he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's really cool. Yeah, you never hear about like that type of like uh, apparition showing up. Right. That's, you know, like, like instead of just like a decayed kind of figure, <laughs> just more, more of like a happy figure, like, welcome home. Hope you had a good day. And then just like, poof, gone. What if he like, I would love it if I came home and there was just like dinner on the table. Mm-hmm. Right. House sparkling clean. <laughs> Vodka in hand. I'd be right. Like, you can stay forever. Yeah. That'd be nice. Like a, like a super helpful ghost. Let's be that kind of ghost if we get to come mm-hmm. back. You're out of toilet paper. You're going to want to go to the store before you go to the bathroom. Why does he oh, have th- jazz hands? I don't know. Because he's, he's, I don't know. That's just what he, I don't know. I'm not him. That's what the ghost is. He's a super <laughs> jazz hand. Hello. <laughs> You left a burner on the stove. Don't want to burn the house down. Thanks, ghost. Did you say that? Because Thanks, that, jazz hands. Did you say that because that's something both you and your children do? Maybe. I wasn't consciously doing it for that reason, but maybe. Maybe. Or maybe you're turning it off and the ghost is turning it back on. Maybe jazz hands, ghost. Is, uh, yeah, maybe he's, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he's maybe not There's nice. a lot of possibilities. Yeah. That's, that's a creepy story. That is a creepy story. Right? Just that feeling of being drawn to the basement. Mm-hmm. Basements are so creepy. Yeah, dark. I mean, dark, you know, typically no windows. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is just inherently a creepy place. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, like the the darker a place is, uh, and, and basements typically are not like kept up like the rest of the house. Right. So it's like there's all the bugs, the cobwebs. All the boxes of the shit the that you don't want to deal with. All the boxes of stuff. You're like, what's in the boxes? What's, what's in, in the, the box? box? Gotta watch that movie again. Yeah, look at us. Mm-hmm. Hey, before we move on, Dan, I have yeah. two super sweet birthday okay. shout outs okay. this week. Okay. So uh, we have a very happy birthday to one of our sweet young little creepers, or maybe he's a peeper. Okay. Who knows? Ryan. 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 Your mom wanted to give you this super special message. She says, Ryan, I love sharing this scary indulgence with you every week. Happy birthday from your creeper mom. And she says, P.S. Watch out, little man. You've got it coming. (laughs) Oh, boy. I I think in the message there is like some... uh, practical jokes going sure, on sure, scaring sure. each Funny. other and whatnot uh-huh and ryan if any of these stories scare you too much just think about jazz hands ghosts ryan it's time for bed you want to get enough sleep for school you can think about that ghost or maybe that's even scarier i don't know <laughs> you as a ghost with that mustache and jazz hands is quite petrifying my okay. friend ah, dang okay. oh dang okay and then one more a happy birthday to aaron aaron your friend alex wanted to make sure you got this special special message before moving to california dan and i know you're going for noble reasons and we hope it all turns out well hail nimrod oh uh, hail nimrod all right. Yay. Well, thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening. 50 yeah. episodes and counting. Thanks again for the ratings and the reviews. Uh, makes us feel like we're in a, you know, they've been good, really good recently. And it just makes us feel like we're in a, we're in a nice groove based on your feedback that you leave, you know, in like uh, reviews and ratings. Um, well, I guess reviews. You know, we, we move stuff like the thank you, the, this thank yeah. you to the back of the episode. Uh, you know, uh, we, we try to get more quickly into the stories. We abbreviate our merch announcements at the top of the show. Try to keep chit chat up top at the start of the show to a minimum. So we're, uh, we're, we're doing the best we can. Yeah, we're trying, we, we, you know, we, we try to interrupt each other's stories, keep that to a minimum. And I feel mm-hmm. like we're on a, we're in a good, good track right now. Yeah, it feels really, it does. It feels and the like, feedback helps. Yeah, and it feels like we've settled in, right? It, yeah. Uh, you know, in the beginning, I had never done this before. No. You came to the table with so much experience between stand-up and yeah. your other podcasts, where I was nervous or like right. amped up, or maybe I'm too amped. Like, you just get in your head so much, and mm-hmm. it feels like 
<sighs> yeah, you're doing great. Hey, Dan. Mm-hmm. You're so great. Oh, nice. That's your jazz hands ghost. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, and also, many of you you've been asking. Many of you, my God, have been asking where you can send stuff into the show. Uh, we will get the address added to the website soon. Just know that it's in the episode description of all the episodes. And uh, just for now, right here, it's Bad Magic Productions, PO Box three eight nine one, Cortland, Idaho eight three eight one six. Boom. Uh, Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com for everything else. Talk to me. Thanks to Logan and Kate Keith on social media. Uh, thanks to them uh, and, and for keeping badmagicmerch.com, uh, an awesome store full of cool designs. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for helping with story curation, Joe Paisley and Zach Flannery for producing, directing, custom sound bed creation, uh, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Follow us on FB and IG. Oh, uh, cool guy over mm-hmm, there. Cool All guy. right. At Scared to Death Podcast. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, with over 5,000 horror-loving members. Yeah. Thank you to Liz Hernandez for moderating that. And enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. <laughs> Don't worry about it. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness. Remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within scared to death. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency creates personalized anti-aging formulas that smooth fine lines, lighten dark spots, and improve the appearance of dark circles. Each formula is tailored to you and prescribed by a licensed dermatology provider. Formulas are customized with clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than retinol. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.